I hope you have no problem with the accent because I haven't got one <laughs> you guys have got the accent but we're glad to be here I love this church very much and often think about it and as I go around to churches in England and America and the continent and in Africa I like to f feel how the church is developing and the worship this morning was such that moved me very deeply in fact it's no exaggeration to say I haven't been moved so deeply for a long time as I was in the worship this morning tears came as we sang those hymns and the Lord was ministering to me as we were ministering to him in those lovely hymns I'm glad to know you're going back to some of the old hymns when he sang that lovely one oh how sweet to trust in Jesus I haven't sung that hymn for over 30 years and it brought back many memories but you sang it with a different kind of a beat <laughs> and at first I found it difficult to adjust but at the end I was jumping around <laughs> so praise the Lord for the new beat and for the old words and I, I'm glad because in England in, in the renewal churches they've thrown out all the old hymns and they've just got the new ones and I yearn for some of these old ones that we may sing them a, in a new way with a spiritual meaning instead of just staring in the hymn book and singing them sing them to the Lord praise the Lord for that so I praise the Lord for the worship this morning and that first hymn holy 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 is a wonderful hymn you know and in the revival in East Africa that changed my life they used to sing that hymn a great deal and when you sung it I knew that the message that I had felt should be the word for this morning was right because that hymn confirmed it and it's Psalm 24 I want you to turn to it Psalm 24 I've been looking into the Psalms recently and seeing deeper meaning in them than I've ever seen before and the word of God is like that it's like a great pool like Lake Tahoe or something where you don't know where the bottom is and you can look right into that water and if it's clear you can see further and further and that's what the word of God is like so we're going to look at Psalm 24 the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or the King James Version says to vanity or swear by what is false he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness or vindication from God his Saviour such is the generation of those who seek him who seek your face O God of Jacob lift up your heads O you gates be lifted up you ancient doors that the King of Glory may come in who is this King of Glory the Lord strong and mighty the Lord mighty in battle lift up your heads O you gates lift them up you ancient doors that the King of Glory may come in who is he this King of Glory the Lord Almighty he is the King of Glory now 
This psalm begins on a joyful note. Notice it's a psalm of David. And uh, we don't get a lot of detail about the situation, occasion of this psalm. But I want to suggest to you that it's based upon the bringing of the ark back to Jerusalem, which we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 6. The greatest day in David's life and in Israel's experience when the ark came back. The ark was the symbol of the presence of God. And they had lost the ark in the days of Eli, the priest, when they took it into the battle and thought it would win the battle against the Philistines, but because Eli and his sons had departed from the Lord and there was wickedness in high places, God wouldn't use the ark to deliver them. The ark was lost. The Philistines captured it, put it in their temple, and then it wandered around from place to place and the time was long that the ark was away from its place over 20 years and all Israel began to lament after the Lord the day came and David fetched the ark back you read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 6 it's a great day and they they brought it into the, the holy city of Jerusalem to Zion and they wanted to put it back in the tabernacle in the holy place and you can imagine them singing as the people go to worship following the ark of David. Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all who live it. Oh, it's great. It's the, it's the Lord's world. The sky's blue. The birds are singing. Everything's beautiful. The ark's coming back. Nice to feel like that, isn't it? Especially when we have weather like we had yesterday and this morning. And you say, oh, isn't the world lovely? Isn't it a beautiful place? Isn't the Lord good? Hasn't he been good to me? And you come with this worship. I don't know what you talk about when you come to these services but here are people and they're praising God that it's his world he's founded it and then a more solemn note comes in a more moral emphasis and somebody says perhaps it's David or somebody says to somebody else who can ascend the hill of the Lord who can stand in his holy place you realize what we're doing we're not just going to some jamboree we're going into the holy place where we're going to stand in the presence of the holy God he who reigns has established the earth we're going into his presence and so the rapture of chapter one uh, uh, sorry, the rapture of verse one and two is now balanced by the reality and the reverence of verse 3 and 4 question who shall stand who shall ascend the hill of the Lord the holy place because that ark that's there that's gone into the holy place is an ark where there's fire and it can consume people and in the temple of Dagon it brought Dagon down and uh, when uh, they looked into the ark the power of God came out and destroyed them and when Uzzah tried to steady the ark on the, on the cart when they were bringing it up the Lord slew him you've got to be careful about this ark because this is the presence of a holy God and you can't tamper you can't play fast and loose with a holy God coming into this holy God now what does this mean for us of course we don't go to Jerusalem but Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we have come unto Mount Zion to the city of the living God the church 
of the New Jerusalem. We've come into the presence of God and every time you come to worship, whether it's individually or whether it's corporately, you're coming to the New Jerusalem, to the Church of the Living God, to Jesus, to an innumerable company of angels. We're coming into a, a sphere of holiness and mystery and wonder when you come into the presence of God. We need to remember that. You don't just come to Calvary Chapel, Seattle. You come into the presence of the living God. And uh, we're to live like that in his presence. But the question is this. Who is able? Who is qualified? Who is worthy to come and stand in the presence of the Holy God? Because God is holy and he requires that which is clean and pure separate that's what holiness means see God was always sort of fenced around for the people of Israel and Sinai they didn't dare come anywhere near the mountain they had to stand afar off and when the tabernacle was established they couldn't just barge into the tabernacle in the old house they weren't allowed to come in even they had to stand outside in the outer court only the priests could come in only the high priests could go in and then he had to be very careful how he went in. And so it must be with us. To realize that God is holy. He's separate from all that's sinful and evil. So how do we come in? Well, here's the answer. Verse 4. He who has clean hands. He who has a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to vanity. He who does not swear by anything that is false clean hands now the Jews when they worship they always raise their hands uh, we do the same in many places some find it hard to do but uh, I used to but I do now but when they held their hands up in worship you read of Solomon he dedicated the temple he spread his hands toward heaven in order to say to God as it were God here's my life in my hands the things I do uh, offering them to you became a kind of custom and Isaiah says in chapter 1 when you spread your hands God says I can see what's on them I can see blood go and wash them don't you come to me with dirty hands and so this spreading of the hands is bringing one's life to God and there had to be a great care with this that the priests never came into the presence of God without washing their hands and washing their bodies so Hebrews says you come with your conscience cleansed that your body is washed with pure water it doesn't mean to say you had a shower before you came but you have a spiritual shower and you must come into the presence of God knowing that your life in its practical details is right before God who of us who of us can stand then there's pure heart and this goes deeper this means the, the, the hidden parts the inner man my attitudes, my thoughts my motives, my intentions things that people can't see and this is the emphasis of course in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount and he says well it is not just you know that you, you murder a man but you, you hate him in your heart 
or you commit adultery actually with a woman but you lust after her in your mind you know it's the, it's the heart that matters as a man thinketh in his heart so he is out of the heart proceed wicked things Ezekiel says the heart is desperately wicked if I'm going to come into the presence of the Holy God I've got to have a pure heart and I haven't there's a revival began in Scotland in the 1940s called the Hebrides Revival it was a wonderful revival it happened in the islands off the west coast of Scotland and it began in one church when the scripture was read in Matthew chapter 5 by the, by the preacher or whoever it was and it came to that verse blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and the arrow of conviction pierced the young man in the congregation and he shouted up oh God I haven't got a pure heart what can I do my heart is not pure my heart is not pure and conviction of sin began to fall on all sorts of people who realized they hadn't got a pure heart heart is desperately wicked but then it says does not lift up his soul to vanity what does that mean uh, inter New, New International says to an idol now the idols to the Jews were empty things they had no meaning Isaiah says as he laughs at the idols it says there's empty things yeah, but you mustn't lift up your soul to an idol for that is just empty it's worship lifting up your soul notice in chapter in verse, um, Psalm 25 it starts to you O Lord I lift up my soul in other words Lord I'm worshipping you but here is someone who lifts up his soul to vanity what does that mean? it means setting your mind on giving your whole attention to your allegiance, your affection your desires to something that's just empty no eternal consequence it's got no spiritual solidity about it it's empty don't we all do that? and this psalm came alive to me just some weeks ago I do a lot of walking because I had a heart operation seven years ago and I can't go in for sports now so I swim and I walk and I do the washing up for my wife and help in the house and the garden and so on but I walk a lot and I was going for a walk in the country near where I was and I suddenly found my mind uh, taking a certain course and began thinking about certain things and I went on and on for half an hour and it's all things about myself and what I wish I'd been what I'd like to do and you know this and that and it's all vain fantasies and imaginations you know and I suddenly stopped and I thought what on earth am I doing and this verse came to me hath not lifted up his soul to vanity and I realized for half an hour I had been lifting up my soul to vanity to empty things about myself that were just useless and that I had often done it that I'd fallen into a habit of, of doing this sometimes they weren't very nice things I was thinking sometimes there were things I remembered from the past that I shouldn't have remembered and uh, my mind would just go on and on and I stopped in my tracks and I said Lord forgive me forgive me and help me to center my thoughts on you the words of the psalm I set the Lord always before me 
I found it hard. I got in such a way of this that the Lord helped me. What profit came when I started lifting up my soul to him and letting him make verses of scripture alive to me and think of his word and praise him and pray as I walked. But then I sat at a meal with people and we talked for an hour about food. I don't know who started it. But it was food until I was... I didn't want to see any food again. And I thought at the close of it, I went silent, I couldn't join in. I thought, what an empty conversation this is for Christians who could have used that time so profitably just talking about nothing but food. And I thought of the verse in the scriptures, whose God is their belly. I think, our God's been our belly. I mean, any kind of thing. Now, this doesn't mean to say you don't talk about ordinary things and so on, but you see, this is lifting up your soul. It is getting something that's just empty and vain, and it becomes the thing, and you're almost worshipping this. Maybe looking at television. Far more than you should. Maybe conversing about things that are profitless. Maybe your thought life. Oh, if you're going to come into the presence of God, he says, have you been lifting up your soul to vanity? Because you need to repent if you have. You're coming to lift up your soul to me. And then has not sworn deceitfully by what is false. In other words, I, I, I'm, I, I've been honest. And to swear deceitfully is, is to be unreal, to be false, to say something you don't really mean. To put on a mask and appear to be something you're not. To make a false profession. Psalm 15 is a very similar psalm to this. They're kind of twins. You see, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live in your holy hill, he whose walk is blameless, and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. Who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. Does his neighbor no wrong, casts no slur on his fellow men. See, this Psalm 15 goes a little further into it. you always speak the truth from your heart? I find the most difficult thing in the world is to be absolutely 100% honest. There's something in our fallen nature that makes, us, makes it easy for us to be dishonest. I don't mean that we go and rob banks and you know, this sort of thing, but you, you just aren't real. And when the Lord begins to work in revival, this is what he does. He deals with this fundamental unreality where we are unwilling to share with one another. Did I tell you a story once? I don't know. For so many. About a deacon I had in the church and we worked together in everything. We were just, you know, in a team and, 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 and he shared with me in everything and we, 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 we worked together in evangelism and so on. He's a great brother. But... Somehow I never could get really close to him. And we had an African brother come to visit us and preach. And we had a, an after meeting when questions were asked. And this brother suddenly asked this African brother. He said, Mr. Kanuka, can you tell me this? The pastor and I agree on all doctrines and we work together and it's beautiful. But he said, I don't really feel that we have the kind of fellowship you've been talking about. Because he'd been talking about fellowship in the light. 
And can you explain why not? What's wrong? You know what the African said? He's broken English. He said, well, he said, you, you go out on a nice night and you see the moon. The moon is beautiful. Full moon. And you look at it and you say, beautiful moon. Uh, next night you go out and there's the moon again. And all your life you looked at the moon. But you only see the one face of the moon. There is another face you have never seen. The dark face. Uh, you always show Stanley the nice face. But there is a dark face you never show him. Because you are too proud. So the brother looked very red. Blushed. Then he turned to me, to my surprise, he said, And Stanley, you always show to whatever his name was, Tom, the nice side of the moon. Your face. But you have a dark side too. You never let him see. I said, yes. Of course, in this English society, you would say, well, that's the proper thing to do. Always smile. Always nice. So he said, you walk together like a nice pair of hypocrites. <laughs> so it's no wonder you don't have fellowship. Praise the Lord when the Lord helps you to turn a little, even a little bit of that dark side and you share with another brother, you know, I'm not all you think I am. I have this problem and that problem. And I sin in this area and I have to repent here. And I need to come to the cross in cleansing there. Oh brother, that's beautiful when you can do that. Because you're not swearing deceitfully. You're speaking the truth from your heart. When you can love another brother so much, or sister, and you say, Brother, you know I love you, but you know I've been troubled about so and so, and I feel I need to give you this little challenge about so and so in your life. It needs to be put right. And you can trust one another. You know, husband and wife. My, what I owe to my wife. How she'll, after the, you know, we've been in the company, she said, Darling, you know, you, you talk too much when we were there in that meal. 80% of the conversation you took. And I get angry and she says, well, it's true, darling. It's absolutely true. I timed you. <laughs> and, and I don't want you to do that sort of thing. It makes me ashamed of you. Uh, and so I said, well, what am I going to do about it? I'm like that. My father was like that. He would do all the talking. And he would hold people spellbound in company with his stories and his jokes and everything. And I get the same. I'm his son. She said, I don't care whose son you are, but you must learn to repent about over-talking. Because it's selfish. Why don't you give other people a chance to talk? They've got things they want to say. Why don't you listen to people? She says, it's very lovingly to me. And then we make an arrangement. When I've been talking too much, she gives me a little poke under the table as I put. And I know. And it's only one of many things. It's being in the light. It's being honest. And the wife says, oh, my husband's a marvellous man. There's nobody in the world like him. She can't see a single fault in him. He's full of faults. But she hasn't got the honesty to tell him. Or he to tell her. So, you see, don't swear deceitfully. Don't be dishonest. Try as far as possible in love to be honest about yourself and to be honest with other people. Nagon, it says, it says you see, and, and does not speak evil of his brother. 
Psalm 15 again you see doesn't swear deceitfully he speaks the truth from his heart but he doesn't slander his neighbor in other words when you speak the truth from your heart you don't slander your neighbor you don't go and say behind the man's back and say things about him to somebody else if you can't say it to him directly don't say it to somebody else that can be slander there's an awful lot of criticism goes on among Christians and I was a minister of a huge church as big as this one almost not quite but as big a congregation as this and there was an awful lot of criticism because they were a, a very orthodox church and they'd had Sidlow Baxter and Graham Scoggy and all these people as pastors before and they were a great church, famous church and, and, and their proud church, nobody was as good as they were so they were always criticizing all the other churches and then they started criticizing one another and there's all a fault finding going on in the church and then the Lord brings some brethren about who are in revival and they say to us, when the Lord began to work in revival in East Africa, it was criticism he began to deal with. The white people criticizing the blacks, and the blacks criticizing the whites, and this tribe criticizing that tribe, even the hatred. And he said, when you point the finger of fault-finding and criticizing at another brother, there are three fingers on the same hand pointing back at you. And God is concerned about your faults. and you know the Lord began to deal with us about that and what repentance there came in that church over criticism and I was as critical as any I was always finding fault with the deacons because they didn't pray enough and the elders because they didn't do this and the members because they didn't do that and the Lord began to deal with us all about criticism and we found whole numbers of us coming together at the foot of the cross and repenting and asking forgiveness of one another for our criticism now who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Not one of us. If you're going to stand in the presence of that ark, who's Jesus, and all his holiness, how are, you going to, how are you going to have these things? Well, look it on and see what it says, 24. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, I, can, I, I may think... Now, if I'm going to have clean hands, I've got, to, I've got to work hard to make them clean and make my heart pure, and I must keep on dealing with myself, and I must not, you know, I must try to achieve righteousness. But um, it doesn't say he will achieve righteousness. It says he will receive righteousness. And he will receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. In other words, I need to be saved about these things, and the only way I can receive the righteousness that my hands may be clean and my heart may be pure is I've got to admit I haven't got these things. Brother, it's a great, great secret. If you want something from the Lord, first of all admit you haven't got it. Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, admit you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to love. Admit you haven't got love. You haven't got purity. You haven't got righteousness. And then when you come to God with empty hands in repentance, admitting, I haven't got these things. I'm not fit to come into the holy place. And God says, right, I'll make you fit. You can receive righteousness from the God of your salvation. And Psalm goes on to say, such is the generation of those who seek him who seek your face, O God of Jacob. 
Why, oh God, of Jacob? Because Jacob was a man who hadn't got clean hands or a pure heart. He wasn't a man who didn't uh, swear by what is false. He did. He lied. He deceived. He robbed his brother of the blessing. He robbed his uncle when he was working for him. Did all kinds of underhanded things. He's a nasty character, Jacob. I don't like him. Except when I look into my own hearts and I see there's Jacob in there. But he says, the God of Jacob. And again and again the psalmist says, the God of Jacob. What does that mean? He's the God who says, I love Jacob. Why did God love Jacob? He ought to have hated him. No, he saw something in Jacob that in spite of all his deceitfulness and sin, Jacob's got a heart that wants what's spiritual. He wants the blessing. He wants the birthright. Although he tries to get it the wrong way. And God says, well, there's a man who, in his depths of his heart, he's really seeking me, even in errant ways. And I want to show what my grace is, that I will bless the wrong person. And you know, God does that. He always blesses the wrong person. Blesses the prodigal son instead of the elder brother. He blesses the publican instead of the Pharisee. And if you go by saying, Lord, you ought to bless me, I'm perfect. God says, no, you're not. I've got no time for you. Because you're going to be proud. And I hate the proud. But if you can say, Lord, I'm a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then God says, then I'll justify you. And so God blesses the wrong person. He blesses Jacob. And he, he, he shows his grace by revealing himself to Jacob and making promises to Jacob and changing Jacob. Do you know Jacob wouldn't give a thing away? He grabbed everything he could get. But when the Lord met him at that dream of the ladder down from heaven and God says, God says, I love you, Jacob. I'm going to bless you. But Jacob says, oh God, I'll give you a tenth of all I possess. That was something, wasn't it? I'll give you a tenth of all I possess. He's beginning to change. And God changes Jacob as he goes on and wrestles with him and breaks him and says, your name shall no more be called Jacob. It'll be called Israel. But I'm the God of Jacob. And I say, God, if you could be the God of a man like Jacob, then you're the God I need. I need to come to you for the righteousness I do not possess. And the cleanness I can't attain to. No. Praise God. Isn't that lovely? He's the God of Jacob. Now, why does the psalm end up with lift up your heads, O ye gates, and so on and so forth? Why does it end up like this? Because the ark's going in. See? And as the ark goes in, uh, they, 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 they cry, Open the gates! Let the ark go in! Because the king of glory is going to go into his sanctuary. And he did. God was enthroned above the ark in Jerusalem. But now, who is this king of glory? Who is our king of glory? He's the Lord mighty in battle, but he's Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that God won the battle over sin and Satan. And there came a day when Jesus had died upon the cross for our sins. Remember that? He died for your sins. And if you've never repented and come to him, you can do so today because he invites you. Come unto me. He'll cleanse you. If you're conscious of not having clean hands and a pure heart, Jesus died that you might have. And after he died upon the cross and risen again, he ascended into heaven. 
But now how did he ascend? How did the king of glory go into those gates? Did he go in just because he was the son of God? Or because he lived a perfect life? Or he gave wonderful teaching? No. Hebrews chapter 9 tells me. Listen to this. He did not enter into the holy place, the perfect tabernacle, by the blood of goats and calves, but he, Jesus, entered once into the most holy place of heaven by his own blood. Have you ever seen that? Hebrews says a lot about the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9, um, what is it, 12, 13. It was the blood of Jesus that was his means of entry back into heaven. For had that blood not been effective in atoning for sin, how could he have gone back? That's what he'd come to do. He'd taken all our sins upon himself and had been made sin for us on the cross. All the sin of the world had been laid upon him. He was covered with it. How could he go back into heaven like that? You can't take sin into heaven. Nothing unclean can enter there. But so effective is the atoning blood of Jesus that every, every iota of the sin of the world that had been laid upon him was atoned for and taken away. And Jesus is able by the power of his blood to go back into the holy place. And just as that ark went in to the tabernacle with the blood upon the mercy seat, so Jesus went in with his precious blood, giving him entrance back into the presence of God. It availed to open heaven for him. What about us? Oh, chapter 10 tells us. Hebrews 10 verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, some people would, uh, would rewrite that and say, I have confidence to enter the holy place because I'm a good Baptist. Or I belong to Calvary Chapel. Or all my doctrines are orthodox. Or I've tried to do the best I can. Oh <laughs> no, that wasn't how Jesus entered the holy place. He didn't say to God the Father, Father, you know I've lived a spotless life, I've healed the sick, I've raised the dead, I've done your will on earth though, so I can come back into heaven. No, he said, Father, here is my blood I shed for the sins of the world and on that blood I come back into the holy place we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus in other words the blood that was sufficient to give him entrance is sufficient to give you and me entrance and you can only come on the basis of the blood of Jesus and if you're going to have clean hands and a pure heart and an honest mind and you're not going to lift up your soul to vanity you're going to be clear of those things it's the blood of Jesus that's going to cleanse you because you'll never get it on your own it's only he will make it for you praise God this morning we can come into the holy place and we can live in the holy place on the basis of the blood of Jesus that where our forerunner has gone we can come as well in spirit and in truth until the day when we actually go there and see him face to face and even when we go there and we are perfect we shall say Jesus thy blood and righteousness my beauty are my glorious dress praise God for the blood praise God for the blood let's pray
Heavenly Father, write your word in our heart this morning. Help us never to come into your presence without asking ourselves who, who can ascend, who can stand. Saying, I can't. I haven't got clean hands or a pure heart. I can't say I haven't lift up that my, lifted up my soul to vanity. I can't say I haven't been deceitful. And I need forgiveness all the time. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God of Jacob. And that you give us a righteousness we can never achieve. You make us righteous. And you give us new desires as you give, gave Jacob to be clean. Lord, we don't want to wash at the fountain just because we want to get dirty again. We wash at the fountain because we want to be clean. We don't come to you because we want our hearts just to go on being deceitful and evil. We want them to be pure and honest, open. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that gives us such an entrance into the holy place. Lord, bless this word to us all. Write it on our hearts. May we live in it. May we long to be holy. May we love Jesus with all our being. May we have a great sense of the value and the power of his precious blood for us to cleanse us. May we know we can live in the holiest through his blood every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.